1: Hey everyone, welcome to Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly. Well, I have a very special treat for you today on today's episode. We're going to be talking on the green economy, and my guest to be talking with me about that is Joel McCower, a name that will be known to many of you. Joel is one of today's leading voices on business, the environment, and the bottom line for doing business in the green economy. Joel has 20 years experience advising companies on green strategy and marketing, and has authored over a dozen books on business and sustainability, including his current book, Strategies for the Green Economy. Joel's also a frequent commenter in print, broadcast, and online media and regularly speaks to companies and business groups around the world. In addition to being the co-founder and chairman of Greener World Media, whose online properties include such respected sites as GreenBiz.com, Joel's also the founder and principal of CleanEdge, Inc., a research and publishing firm focusing on clean technologies. Joel is a graduate of journalism from the University of California at Berkeley and is an advisor to numerous startups and nonprofit organizations. The Associated Press is called Joel the guru of green business practices. So Joel, welcome to Green Talk Radio. Thanks so much. Well, I've been a big fan for a long time, have uh, been a big fan of both the website and your books. So excited to talk to you today about this very important topic. So why don't we just start with... Is the green economy, this idea of the green economy, as you talk about it in the book and certain you know, other people like Van Jones and, and certainly even Barack Obama has talked about it, is that a reality now for the majority of businesses and consumers or is it sort of this niche idea or a dream?
0: Well, Sean, uh, I think it's sort of whatever you want it to be in that uh, you know, there's really no definition of what the green economy is. In fact, there's no definition of what a green business is. And that's that's a little bit of a challenge for, for both businesses and for people trying to ferret out this, this green economy. But Something is definitely taking place here, and and in some ways it's new, and in in other ways it's just a continuation of something that's been going on for, well, the, the 20 years that I've been tracking it, which is that companies are understanding that being a greener, more environmentally responsible business usually means that they're a better business. And so regardless of whether this is about saving the earth or trying to green up your image, it's just about reducing waste and improving efficiency and improving quality and reducing risk and attracting talent and, of course, reducing costs and maybe even growing sales. And so those are things that, that really do just contribute to being better businesses. And, and how that translate, translates economy-wise in terms of lots of companies doing that and creating opportunities for, for the overall society, both domestically and globally, I mean, that's that's what this is all about. And that's where we're now trying to direct all of this into a more coordinated fashion.
1: Now, you. I want to drill in there since you brought it up. You talk about this in chapter five about, and this is a topic we talk about on this show quite a bit with guests. Is this really fundamental, important, and unfortunately confusing question of what exactly does make a green business and or a business green? And you know, with only a few exceptions like things like the Forestry Stewardship Council (FSC) lead certification, there's almost a complete lack of standardization around really what defines a business or a product being green in various areas. Um, and there's certainly been a lot of companies and marketers who have sought to exploit that vacuum that exists. Uh, what exactly, in your estimation, does a company need to do? To what, what goals do they need to hit to be green and call themselves
0: green? Yeah, so that's a good question. And you know that you mentioned uh, lead and the Ford Stewardship Council. Those aren't even about businesses; those are about products. So the right. question is, you know, to make it even more complicated, can a can a ungreen business have green products, or can a green business have ungreen products? So it gets very complicated very quickly. But you know in, in, in there is no standard there you know like there is for green building for green business and and there is no absolute checklist because so much of the answer to your question about what does it mean or what does it take to be a green business to, results in it depends it depends on what your business is it depends on on what your biggest impacts are it depends what you're already doing and 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 the relationships you have with your suppliers but in general it means having a full understanding of what your impacts are, really understanding not just the things that happen within your office or or business uh, parameters, uh, your factory gates if you're a manufacturer, but in the larger uh, segment of of the products and services that you offer. Um, So just for example, Levi Strauss figured out, that the biggest impact of making a pair of 501 jeans, the two biggest impacts have nothing to do with anything that they do. It, it has to do with growing cotton and washing jeans at home. And so, you know, in everything in between is really, I mean, it's probably 1% of the life cycle impacts. In other words, the impacts on the air and water and soil and things like that, waste and, and waste streams and, and other environmental impacts. So, you know, they're working on how do they, you know, as how do they work with the cotton industry to uh, source more sustainable cotton? And they actually have a partnership with uh, Procter and Gamble to design some some jeans uh, that work in collaboration with cold water laundry detergent. So, first of all, what do you know? And then, now that you know what the problem is, what are you doing? Uh, you know, are you do you have a plan? And is it a, 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 a you know real plan with you know specific targets and timetables and maybe even bold, audacious goals? These days, you see a lot of companies you know that are you know committing to zero carbon or zero waste or 100% renewably powered but it doesn't have to be one of those all or nothing kinds of goals it can just be saying we want to you know get achieve this level of reductions or improvements over the next 3 to 5 years and probably never get you to perfection and so you know what do you know and what are you doing and then how are you talking about this uh, you know, are you talking about this both internally and externally upstream to your suppliers and downstream to your customers and not just simply waving your arms and saying, Hey, look at all the cool stuff we're doing, but actually, you know, saying, look, this is where we're trying to get, and this is where we are now. And we've got some other issues and the things that we're doing, we realize aren't perfect, but they're part of a process that we're on. So I think that while we don't have a specific definition of a green business, a company that can demonstrate that it understands impacts has a plan in place to do something about them and is talking about them openly and authentically is off to a pretty good start.
1: So it's, it's like these companies basically were in this current environment need to self-regulate and it's, we've been seeing leadership from interesting places, uh, you know, businesses like Walmart that aren't generally on people's top environmentally uh, geared companies are providing a lot of leadership with regards to their supply chains. And we're seeing, um, you know, them sort of self regulating not only with themselves, but with their various uh, suppliers and, and uh, the vendors that they're working with. So, is that what we can expect in your estimation moving forward? Is it really just more of the self regulating environment and expecting it there? Or do you think the government's going to start taking a larger role?
0: Well, it's, it's both and. I mean, I think when so much of the stuff that walmart is is doing uh it, it's you know and, and what frankly most companies are doing in fact i'd say the vast majority of companies fall in the category of doing less bad in other words you know how do we you know pollute less waste less use less uh uh energy the kind that you know creates from fossil fuels and other things that that have been causing all these problems and and that's largely i mean the government isn't Assuming it falls within some really low bars of regulation, regulatory compliance, the government hasn't played much of a role there. In some places, there, you know, in states and some counties, there's some some higher bars, but that's a lot of what Walmart's doing. It's pushing its suppliers to reduce less, you know, create less waste, and they're doing this not because they're trying to save the earth, uh, although they don't wake up every morning saying we don't care about the earth. It's simply that this is good, as I said before, good business. Where, you know, if they can get uh, their uh, suppliers to reduce packaging, for example, it may mean uh, lower shipping costs it may mean fewer, less restocking costs, it may mean less disposal costs of of waste and you know back behind the store where all the cartons and pallets and things come in there's definitely business benefits for doing that, but the other side of that, which is I think where government's going to start to play a role in the coming months and years uh, is is the, is what sort of the leading edge of all this, which is not simply about how do we do less bad or even. How do we improve the bottom line by reducing our impacts? But how do we grow the top line? How does green sustainability, whatever we want to call it, become a foundation, a platform for for innovation and new products and new markets and whole new business models? And you know whether it's electric cars or green power or uh, sustainably locally grown fruit food or a whole range of other things that we're starting to see in the green economy. That's where this not only becomes exciting, but also becomes very profitable and sustainable from a business perspective and actually begins to move the needle on a lot of the environmental problems we face.
1: Now, let's talk about the if, – if you don't mind switching gears just a little bit, I want to talk about the elephant in the room here, which would be the economy in the U.S. and, and, and other places. It's kind of interesting, Joel, as we're having this interview, the backdrop we're facing you know, with the world and particularly with the U.S. economy is very interesting because we're, we're facing a deepening global recession – as well, on top of all the well-documented environmental problems that we have in the world, and, and in the U.S., I think there's this view held by many that there's been an economic bleed-off happening for the better part of a decade or more, where the U.S. has been really losing jobs, and in many cases, I think shipping jobs overseas to places like India and China. And, and I think there's this idea that there's this hope, um, as we're in this climate of hope with Barack Obama and and you know, the advent of, of our new administration, that there's this hope that, that this will, the green economy will be a panacea for many of these things and business opportunities around clean tech and clean energy and, and other uh, legs of the green economy will, will help sort of offset this. Do you think that that's a realistic vision?
0: Well, panacea is uh, maybe a little bit strong in that it, it, it says this is the answer. Um, I think that that a lot of green economy um, uh, initiatives, uh, well de- designed and, and, and deployed, can be a pathway, or one of the pathways that we that we use to to get ourselves out of this economic mess. Uh, I mean, we see a lot of of great opportunities out there, and great transformational opportunities. We, we see the car companies, you know, uh, going through this very tough time, maybe even on their, their 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 deathbed for you know some of the companies. Hopefully not. Um, and, and we see a lot of um, uh, of of auto workers and others that are being affected by that. Uh, what's interesting is, um, uh, you know, you take a wind turbine, a wind turbine, uh, a wind turbine uh, one of those giant windmills that you see in some parts of the country, it has about 8,000 machine-tooled parts and some tons of steel. You know, it's not unlike a car in that regard. I mean, it's very different than a car, obviously. But from a manufacturing perspective and from the perspective of the of the skills that are needed to uh, to create that, and you know so we have these these abandoned auto plants we have these um, laborers and these skilled workers who are who are in need of of good jobs and we have this opportunity to to redeploy them um so you know that is where some of this uh you know starts to become a pathway uh van jones you mentioned earlier he talks about you know how do we uh, use the green economy to address social issues. You know, how do we, you know, get uh, some of the the, the most uh, dispossessed uh, kids to put down a handgun and pick up a cocking gun and be part of this great uh, effort? Uh, hopefully, led by the by Obama and the, and the new Congress and 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 their state and local counterparts to weatherize every home and building in a, in America, and not not simply as a as a bailout, but because these are actually these make money. So you can use a revolving fund that where the fund gets repaid by the savings of energy that, that the owners and, and residents of those buildings get to enjoy. And it goes back into the treasury and then gets to fund more buildings. And mean, meanwhile, we're creating lots of jobs. So there are many pathways here. And, and I think, you know, it, it, a lot of it's, you know, how do, how do they get deployed and who's, who are the, un- the vested interests uh, you know, going to be lobbying against this because they're the incumbent interests. Uh, as we've seen so often in the past, and are they going to win, or are we going to have the moral leadership and political authority to to carry this through?
1: And What's your vision on that? What's your if you had to guess? Do you think that that's going to be successful, or it's going to run into uh, roadblocks?
0: Well, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be a rich man. But uh, you know, I <laughs> wake up on uh, most mornings on the optimistic side of the bed, and and like uh, I think most people involved in this space, I'm I'm extraordinarily excited and encouraged by by what uh, President-elect Obama is saying, and 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 by the uh his, the not just the the passion but very much the intellectual rigor that's going into designing some of these things um and and it, of course it's not just one man or one administration behind this it has to be uh congress as well and it has to be the business community uh you know standing up and saying yep you know this is this is great under the circumstances this is something we want we may not have wanted this in in times when we were flusher and where the but this is the what we have to do to get where we want back to where we want to be so it's going to take a, an entire community an entire nation to really support this um, and that what remains to be seen i mean you know we're an uncharted territory here economically and we're an uncharted territory here politically mm-hmm. and so um you know i anything goes but i have to say looking at what the people that that br- obama has brought together and you know the the, in the energy and environmental and policy arenas um i think that he's got a moment in time i mean that's the real thing i mean you know uh, in the week or two or three after september 11th 2001 george bush had a moment in time where he could have said at the time you know we can never let this happen again uh in in order to ensure that i'm going to put a dollar or 2 dollar tax on gasoline it's going to be painful but you can see what happens when we don't pay attention to this stuff and we're going to plow that money back into a green economy and you know alternative energies and alternatives to oil you know he had that opportunity and obviously he squandered it and uh, you know 6 weeks later people wouldn't have paid a nickel more for a gallon of gas cuz we've we'd largely forgotten about that Barack Obama has that same window of opportunity here and you know the question is will he seize it and will he succeed
1: yeah, absolutely. And you you know, you mentioned that story about the opportunity there to do things like that with that Bush had after September 11th and it it's it reminds me of sort of the, you know, the war bond mentality and things that happened at, you know, when America rallied around other causes, for example, war. It certainly seems a lot more uplifting to rally around uh, a new, you know, clean and sustainable economy rather than one based on on war. Um and I guess as you put it the question is whether or not that's that's going to happen. My other question regarding the economy is you know we're, we're obviously we're looking at the stock market being at its lowest levels in in ten or more years in, in some cases. Um, what effect, if any, do you see the recession, the current recession and deepening recession, having on this rise of the green economy, both both in U.S. And, and globally?
0: Well, it makes it challenging certainly. If you can't get credit, then you can't invest in some of the things you need to do. And if people are hurting, uh, you know they're going to be paying attention to more basic uh, needs uh, like you know housing and, and food. Then you know, than, than climate change and, 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 environmental issues. But I want to go back to something you were saying before about, <clears throat> you know, the, the, this moment in time and, um, you know, really helping us, uh, you know, understand this moment. You know, one of the things that, you know, people ask me lately, you know, if you had uh, Obama's ear, you know, or if you could ask one thing of Obama, what would that be? And, you know, my, my, my glib answer is leadership um, and vision, you know, there's a thousand and one policy prescriptions on what we need to do, and, and people much smarter than I have, have laid those forth. Uh, there's a group called Clean Tech for Obama, uh, which is was a campaign organization. It's now sticking together as a policy group, of which I'm a part, and they've just laid out all kinds of of, of great um, visions and policy prescriptions. But here's, here's, I think, one of the big challenges, and you talked about before about it's much nicer doing this than, say, fighting a war in terms of bringing the country together – One of the things we desperately need is that we as a society don't really have a vision of what happens if we get this right. We have lots of visions. Al Gore helped us with that saying what happens if we get it wrong. But what happens if we get it right in terms of not just the environment but the economy and public health and and job creation and community well-being – because uh, there's a there's you know this isn't just about saving the earth and it's not just about in energy independence or getting off of foreign oil and all those nice campaign slogans, this is actually a, if we get this right about a better life and so we don't have a vision of that and I think uh, President Obama will have this great moment to help us understand that vision and help paint that picture and help us realize and say, wow, this isn't just about the birds in the trees. This isn't just about people living in coastal communities. This isn't just about you know Katrina victims. This isn't just about the polar bears. This is really about a fundamental way that we can transform our economy and our world in ways where we end up with better products and services, these very cool electric cars that we can plug in at home and and maybe don't even have to own that, you know, we sort of borrow them when we need them and a whole bunch of other things, healthier food and local, local, stronger local communities. If he can paint that picture and get us excited, he'll get the, poli- he'll get the, the public excited. And then, you know, the politicians, the members of Congress and local legislatures will see a parade that they'll have no choice but to get in front of.
1: Well, speaking of things economic, we need to take a break right here to hear from our sponsor. And we'll be right back. We're talking on the new green economy. We're speaking with Joel McCower, who is the co founder and chairman of Greener World Media and author of the book Strategies for the Green Economy. We'll be right back on Green Talk Radio. Thank you, everyone. We're back on Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly. My guest is Joel McCower. He's the co-founder and chairman of Greener World Media and author of the book "Strategies for the Green Economy." Joel, we were talking about a lot of things before the break, uh, including uh, the underpinnings of this green economy and what we can hope to expect from the administration in terms of leadership moving forward, uh, company self-regulation, and other things. I, I wanted to ask you uh, drilling in a little bit. You were talking just before the break about you know some of the people in this country that don't maybe have as much uh, connection to some of these issues and and the the resonance isn't maybe there. And in your book, you actually talk about it. Uh, The ungreens, the 3% of the population who essentially have no real ecological consciousness or identification with environmental concerns. Should should companies out there even be concerned about that segment of the population? And if so, how should they be reaching out to them?
0: Well, it goes back uh, in some ways to something I was saying just before the break, which is, you know, I think the people who are, who don't like hybrid cars for some reason, probably see them as, first of all, uh, uh, that the people who drive them are holier than thou, um, or that uh, they represent a change to a kind of uh, a car that they don't wanna have to be forced into. And so the question is, how do we get everybody, you'll never get everybody, but how do we get you know the majority of people, the overwhelming majority, excited about this, and that's this vision for, you know, what is this like? This isn't just about, you know, switching from one car to another, although that may be part of it. You know, we talk uh, for a long—it's been this myth for, well, my whole life and probably, you know, since the World War II that, that cars give us freedom. That's the American way that we have to have cars because they give us freedom. But when you look at, you know, if you have a car, you're not necessarily free. You gotta you gotta park it. And if you don't have a driveway or a street, you have to pay to park it, you have to insure it, you have to fill it up with gas, you have to keep it maintained, you have to keep it insured. And you know, you've got this 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 thing that may cost twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars that's sitting idle 95% of the time. It's not a great use of funds. What gives us freedom is the ability to have mobility, not to own a car, to get into a vehicle and, and uh, to get wherever we want to go, whenever we want to do that in whatever style, whether it's small and peppy or big and roomy uh, that, uh, that we want to have. And so, you know, what if we had a world where we didn't really need to own cars? What we had was we had some access to mobility and, um, uh, and we had, we were able to tap that fairly easily and fairly effortlessly. Maybe the car even shows up at our door and whatever car we need that particular day. And when we don't want it, the 95 or 98% of the, the day when we're not actually driving, someone else gets to use it. And so that may be a better thing. It may be cheaper. It may free us up in some ways. It may allow us to use our money for for other kinds of things besides owning and insuring and parking a car. So I, all I'm saying is that that's a vision that no one seems to have understood, or we haven't seemed to, we, because nobody's offered to sort of portray that vision. And frankly, it's, we're not ready to implement that vision, but we're on our way towards that as one small part of the green economy. So, you know, those are the people who will, who will say, you know, I liked my record collection and I didn't want to give them up. But when CDs, CDs came along, I sort of resented them at first because I had to go and buy them. But you know what? They were much better, and they were I, they were smaller, and I could access the st- songs better, and I could access them on different things. And then when iTunes and the iPod came along, that really upset me because then all of a sudden I had all these CDs that I didn't couldn't hmm. do anymore. Right. And so, you know, you get the point that the, you know CDs didn't replace vinyl because we were running out of vinyl because it was a better way of doing things. And that's what the green right. economy has to be.
1: Now, you're known as the guru of green business practices, so I want to pick your brain a little bit here, if I might, <laughs> <laughs> about strategies. And also, since your book is Strategies for the Green Economy. No spiritual or, advice here. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll stick to the just the economic side. Um, you know, there are a lot of Business people out there with large companies or even, you know, budding entrepreneurs that are interested in getting involved in this. And so I'm curious, you know, what, in your view, are some of the more environmentally and even economically significant opportunities that are emerging uh, for companies in this green economy?
0: Well, there's a lot of them. Um, I mean, some of them are just simply the a, a means of doing what you do now more efficiently and more effectively or with lower impact and maybe uh, improved customer experience. But there's a whole range of new businesses that are opening up. And and what's interesting is there's a whole bunch of new business models. So you take solar, for example. I mean, solar energy has been just around the corner for 30 or 40 years, and, and guess what? It's still just around the corner, but one mm-hmm. of the big, it, it, that's thats changing that because it really is actually being implemented, but it's not being implemented by individuals except for some fairly wealthy types and even by most businesses because that, that really, because you can't afford this, and the problem is that we're not used to owning our means of power production. We're used to buying kilowatt hours, or more specifically, you know, as Amory Levins likes likes to say, uh, you know, cold beer and warm showers and instead of the other way around. We mm-hmm. just want the services that they provide, and so nobody wants to to spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars to buy solar panels on their roof, and it's going to take ten years to pay it back, and you have to maintain them and all kinds of things. Kind of what I was saying about the cars. But what we want are the services, the, the, the renewable energy at a fixed price because the sunshine never increases in cost. And and so now there's companies that are coming in and saying, OK, well, how do we provide solar services? We'll put the solar panels on your roof, but we get to own them. We'll sell you the kilowatt hours, and if there's any extras that you're not using, we'll sell them into the grid and keep that money, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, also get some tax deductions and things and tax credits. And we'll make a business out of that. And someone else is coming in and saying, you know, solar energy is really complicated to install. And it's more like home remodeling than, say, uh, direct TV. And so we're going to come up with a way of making it plug and play. So you call someone and they show up and or maybe do a lot of it on the Internet. And then all of a sudden someone shows up and in a couple of days installs this thing and shorten the sales cycle and shorten the, the installation process, make it more, more plug and play. And someone else is coming along and saying, well, let's – Let's use uh, sort of what we learned on the web where we have not just customers but members, and they help recruit other members. and gets kind of viral so that everyone comes together and buys solar together and brings down the price. Those are three examples of three companies, and actually there are more than three companies that are out there that have figured out how to take it the, just the basic solar services and innovate on it and deploy some of what we learned on the Internet and, and, and other marketing and, and and economies of scale and create new business opportunities. We're seeing those kinds of things throughout the economy, not just with new things like solar, but old things like packaging and and water and transportation and, and, and of course, energy of all sorts. And, and that's what's really exciting is that we have a way to invent our, our, our way to some really cool new business opportunities.
1: Yeah. Any final words of advice for green businesses and or green entrepreneurs out there, or would be?
0: Well, you know, it's going to be tough the next uh, some some months. Uh, this is going to be a uh, you know a rough patch, and it's, we're going to there's going to be a temptation to want to um, sort of uh, step away and saying, look, you know, let's come back to this when we can afford to do that. And you know, if you look at it that perspective, it may be a year or two uh, before that happens. But this isn't necessarily about changing everything and costing more and being inconvenienced, this is a real opportunity to really rethink what we're doing and and to see some opportunities. So, you know, I guess the, the advice is, is stick with it. Don't let the economic times, you know, uh, mask the opportunities. And uh, there's some really exciting things that are going to be happening. I I truly believe over the coming weeks and months and, you know, and, and let's all try to rally together and be, be part of it in whatever small ways we can.
1: Well, unfortunately that's all the time we have on today's episode my guest has been Joel McCower. He's the co-founder and chairman of Greener World Media and executive editor at greenbiz.com. He's also author of the book Strategies for the Green Economy. You can find out more about Joel online at his websites at Greenbiz.biz.com and mccower.com, M-A-K-O-W-E-R.com. If you're interested in In topics related to green business and the green economy, I encourage you to check out other episodes of Green Talk Radio, as well as articles we have on the greenlivingideas.com website under the topics, work, and the office section. Joel, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: My pleasure, Sean.
1: And thanks to all of you out there for listening in. As always, we'll see you next time on Green Talk Radio.